Let's go to Romans chapter 12. Let's stand for a reading of God's word as we read the first eight verses of Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are in one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we always thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity we have uh, to learn from it together. Uh, Lord, may it have its intended purpose this morning. May it uh, pierce even to our souls, uh, clear our minds and our hearts to uh, bring us not only understanding but clearly, too, obedience to your word and what you would have us not only to know, but what you would have us to do. Lord, set before me as you, the things that you set before me, Lord, to bring to my recall. May I, reserve, may I represent you in spirit and in truth. And Lord, may we all be blessed by uh, your word and the Holy Spirit that binds us together. Thank you all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Please be seated. We're at a major turning point in the book of Romans. Uh, two weeks ago, Pastor Micah gave a summary, if you will, of chapters 9 through 11. And much of that discussion surrounded doctrine and as it related to Jews that were in the church and Greeks that were in the church. And how they were supposed to respond one to another, how they were integrated one to another. All of the first 11 chapters of Romans is something what of a systematic theology, doctrine, if you will. Um, and since that is true, the remainder of Romans, we can compare that to perhaps a first century Christian living bestseller. We get practical experience on how we are to react, how we are to live. Most importantly, what God's word has to say to us in sacrifice as it relates to sacrifice. Paul uses a very effectual learning technique that he uses in his passage of scripture, and that is the technique of a life metaphor. Well, what is a life metaphor? Metaphor is, or a life metaphor is a, is a word or a phrase that gives us some type of perspective, if you will, about what perhaps life is about. I'll give you some examples. William Shakespeare said, all the world's a stage and all men and women are merely players, which means the world is our stage. We're actors. We're actors in this world. One that you're probably most familiar with, and I know that you've probably all heard, life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Forrest Gump's mama. Mental health experts tell us that Life's metaphor most frequently affect our mental health, and in many cases determine how we're going to face life challenges. 
One person believes life is a battle, everything's a competition, we're always either winning or losing. Uh, another believes that life is a dance and it's an enjoyable experience as you respond based on the song that's being played. Solomon said that as a man thinks within himself, so is he. Well, we need God-directed life metaphors. And we find that in this passage of scripture in Romans. There are many messages that can be brought from this passage of scripture. I, in my mind, could probably come up with at least three, maybe more. But God directed me to focus on one specific area. And that is related to the idea of stewardship as it relates to sacrifice. And understanding that sacrifice is a matter of stewardship. We know what stewardship means. It means to take care of something that uh, uh, we've been entrusted to. We all understand what that is, to be a caretaker. Perhaps understand what sacrifice means. It means to give up something, something that's going to cost us. God has never asked unsaved people to sacrifice anything. But he says here in believers that we are called to sacrifice, that we are believers that must be willing to sacrifice. And there's a commitment or a stewardship, if you will, in the way that we have to think about sacrifice. Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Well, there's commitment to sacrifice right there. In verse 1, as we've read, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God, which is your spiritual worship. I believe that this scripture this morning, we're going to only focus and probably have time for only the first two verses. But I believe that this scripture is a call to repentance, a call to change the way that we think about sacrifice and what it means to our walk. Think about sacrifice as it regards to our thought patterns. Think about sacrifice as it regards our decision-making. Think about sacrifice in regards to our reference to God, our outlook towards sin, our outlook towards ourself, our outlook towards the thing of this world, and our outlook towards others. A chicken and a pig were walking down the road. You think this is going to be one of those bar jokes, don't you? And they saw a, one of those billboard signs. And the billboard sign in bold words said, feed the poor. Well, they, uh, the chicken thought about it and said, that's a good idea, that we should feed the poor. I'll tell you what we're going to do, as the chicken said to the pig. Let's have a big feast and let's serve up ham and eggs. Well, the pig said, well, uh, I'm not sure that's a good idea. For you, that's just a contribution. For me, that's a total commitment. <laughs> All too often, that's the way that we think about sacrifice, and perhaps that's what scares us about sacrifice, is we stop and consider that aspect of total commitment. Many times we just forget what we've been taught and read and what we understand about sacrifice. In Romans chapter 6, which we were just preached to and we've learned and we've read before, chapter 6, 10 to 13, for the death he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body 
to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. As I said, I want to focus this morning specifically on our consideration of stewardship as it relates to sacrifice. And there's three points I want to bring to you this morning. The first thing that I want us to understand, and the Lord has led me to bring before you, is that sacrifice has its calling. That we are called to sacrifice. Verse 1 in chapter 12 opens up, is as I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. Of course, that word therefore relates to everything Paul has been teaching about in the first 11 chapters. But who is he talking to? And he mentions brethren. Now, as I said before, it's not the world. The only thing God expects from the unsaved man to sacrifice is his will. But if, we've been, if we have trusted Christ as Savior, we're no longer our own. We belong to him. Paul often referred to himself as a bondservant or a slave of Christ. The average Christian, I don't think, really understands what the meaning of the word sacrifice means. We're too busy doing our own thing. I've got this to do. I've got that to do. I've got these people that I need to meet with. I've got those people I need to meet with. I just don't have time. My calendar is full. There is just no time for me to do anything else. Many times we approach the idea of sacrifice and we do it maybe from a half-hearted effort. I'll give you one day in a week. I'll give you one dollar out of ten. I'll give you time for this or I'll give you time for that. I'll participate in this and maybe not that. Well, what is God asking us for? That type of approach, even the non-believing world knows that there's something wrong about that. To a deity that gives his son to be executed on our behalf and then toss them a little bit of this and a little bit of that, we know instinctively inside ourselves there's something wrong with that. That is just not right. In the show, if you've seen it, Band of Brothers, it's, I like shows and things that blow up, and I'm former military, and Cheryl will sometimes say to me, why don't you turn down the war uh, in, in the living room? But Band of Brothers, one of, one of my shows that I liked, um, there was a scene where the captain is, is dealing with a soldier who has broken down. Uh, and in counseling this soldier, he, he says to him, your problem, son, is that you want to live, and that's why you are scared of dying. As soon as you recognize that you're a dead man, then you're going to function like a soldier. As soon as we recognize as believers that we are bought with a price, that we are dead to this world, that the old self has died, we will better function as Christian soldiers. It's a matter of perspective. It's a matter of life metaphor. Let me give you a, an example of one of, the, one of the things that might change our perspectives in consideration. Let's stop for a moment and consider that I'm going to go on a walk, a long walk. If I continued across this stage, went out that door, continued south down Ridgeview, and just kept on going, eventually intersected with I-35, walked down I-35, eventually made my way to Dallas, kept on going, continued further south, past San Antonio, 
down into Mexico. Travel all the way, walking all the way through Mexico, down to the tip to the end of the peninsula, uh, crossing over in the Panama, through Honduras and the Panama, into South America, go through South America, go through Brazil, stop in where we've got our church plant there. Um, travel all the way south, down through Chile to the southernmost point, I'd reach a town called Pointus Eris. At that point, I'd have to swim. Well, how long would it take me to do that trip? Well, I did the math. And if I walked three miles an hour, it would, and I walked nonstop and didn't quit, it would take me six months. Well, I further broke that down into seconds. And how many seconds would it take me to, to do that trip? Well, it would actually take me 5,184,000 seconds. Well, why do you need to know that needless information? Well, stop and consider for a moment, if I'm trying to give some perspective here, is consider this in this trip that if I started way back and consider that eternity past, consider my trip going down through to Pointus Arenas and that 6,000 miles and that 5,184,000 seconds, that on my trip, how long would it take me to pass through this pulpit? I submit to you that perhaps maybe half a second. Half a second out of 5,184,000 seconds. Consider that, considering eternity past and eternity future, that our time in between represents our time here on this earth. That's how much time in consideration. Even that's a lame example. Consideration of eternity, which makes our mind blow up. But yet, within this short span of time, how much credence do we put into trying to get things done? Trying to accomplish things. Trying to serve ourselves within this short period of time. Unwilling to sacrifice. Well, if it's so hard, how do we do it? If it's so difficult and it is so challenging, we know we need to do it, we, need to know, we know we need to obey, we know that we're going to fall short, well, how do we do it? Well, we need to look at the basis of our calling to sacrifice. We see that also in verse 1 again. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. I submit to you that the basis of the calling for sacrifice is consideration of the mercies of God. This is the basis of our calling. Everything God gives us, everything he does for us, is based on mercy, even your next breath. Our salvation, our home in heaven, our provision, our daily blessings, every single bit of it. All too often we take it for granted. Very early on in our Christian walk, when I say our Christian walk, I mean Cheryl and our family, and my son is here today, and my grandkids are here. It's wonderful to have them here. We were struggling financially. I was between gigs, and um, we weren't able to make ends meet. We were serving the Lord. We were in church, and God used a particular individual, trying not to break down, to bless us. And he discovered what our need was, knew the depth of it. And out of the blue, 
and unexpectedly, at church, he walked up to me and gave me a $3,000 check that came out of his personal savings. A great sacrifice. Well, I knew him in the church. I knew of him, and I would call him a brother in Christ. But I didn't really know him. But after that point, I felt like he was a good friend, as you can imagine. And you could probably imagine that was a lot of money back, you know, 40 years ago. That was an enormous amount of money. And you can imagine how blessed I felt and grateful to God. And you can bet that even now, decades later, I think of that moment as if it was five minutes ago. That is etched in my mind. And I would do anything for that man if he had a need and that it was capable for me to help him in any way that was possible because he sacrificed for me. Jesus has every right to call us to a life of sacrifice. We owe him. What he has done for me makes me want to sacrifice for him. And this, this is the basis of our calling to sacrifice. It's his mercy. It's our understanding, it's our comprehension of the mercy that he has shown to us. When we, when we do feel, fully realize it and comprehend it, we're willing to lay it down. We're willing to make the sacrifice we're, we're required to do. We're not a people trying to earn God's favor. We're people that are stunned that we've been shown undeserved, rich mercy because of Christ. We do not try to earn mercy with a merciful life. Instead, we are able to live a merciful life because we have been shown mercy. Well, if we're called to mercy, we also find that if we're called to sacrifice, sacrifice also has its requirements. Continuing on in verse 1, and again, even in these first two verses, there's many messages here. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Well, just by the very term of living sacrifice itself infers that there are some serious requirements here. Not only that, we are to, be, we are to present ourselves in a holy and acceptable manner. Not only do we understand very little in many cases for the average Christian, and if I can use that term, average Christian, we understand sacrifice, but very little do we really understand God's holiness and have a perspective about God's holiness and our relation to God's holiness and our call to holiness and the impact of the type of sacrifice that we are supposed to make as it regards holiness. In the Old Testament, God required perfect sacrifice, whether it was a lamb, a goat, a pigeon, turtle dove, whatever it was. It was supposed to be without blemish. Supposed to be without spot. It was supposed to be perfect. And we all know and understand ultimately that these sacrifices didn't atone for sin, but they pointed to a Messiah. That God was going to appoint a Messiah who was going to be the substitute sacrifice for sin. That's what the, the process of sacrifice is about in the Old Testament. However, in the book of Malachi, God condemned people because they had presented to him sacrifices that were less than the best. Human nature just doesn't seem to change. All too often, we want to give and sacrifice our second best to the Lord. 
Is that really what God expects from us? Is that what God wants from us? Is that really what makes us happy? Is that really what brings joy to our heart? According to the writer of Hebrews, when Christ appeared as a high priest, he entered once and for all into the holy places, not by means of blood or goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing our eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from the dead works to serve the living God. Praise God that he's provided the Messiah and the substitute for the punishment for our sins and that in response to that we have been shown mercy. It also says in regards to presenting our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, that word holy means set apart. The instruments in the tabernacle were called holy because they were set apart. They were separated. God calls us as a body, corporately, an ecclesia, or a called out assembly. That we are called out, that we are to be separate because God is holy and is because of Christ, we are made holy in the sight of God. And he calls us out to be a holy people. God is also not asking us to do something that is out of reach. He says that in verse 1, to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Spiritual worship. In your margins, depending upon the study Bible, if you've got a study Bible, you'll find notes in there for those two words of what they mean. And although in the English Standard Version, it gives us the term spiritual worship, if there's a note in your margin, it probably says rational or reasonable service, which in the Greek is really what it means or relates, but it also means service and worship. Those words all relate together. The interpretation of what that means is, is God is not asking us doing, to do something in sacrifice that we are not equipped to do. That is only reasonable Based on the mercy that we've been shown, it's only reasonable that we provide the sacrifice he calls us to and that he calls us to commit to. Well, sacrifice has its calling, sacrifice has its requirements, and finally, sacrifice has its reason. The last part of verse 2, we read, let's just read verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is the good and acceptable, what is good and acceptable and perfect. As I said, there's many ways that could have gone with this, with this message. And this is really a preamble, if you will, of what is on Paul's mind after dissecting doctrine, explaining doctrine, teaching doctrine, and now putting it into practical experience, the first thing that Paul has on his mind is unity of the church. And you see that through, and we don't have time to get through it, verses 3 through 8, where he's talking about service. Where he's talking about service within the church and using our gifts once amongst another. We'll get to that hopefully in just a minute. 
And this is the setup or the preamble that leads us to that point. The first two verses. And the reason or the final purpose, if you will, of why is it that we have to sacrifice? Well, because it's reasonable, it's rationable, and it's our worship. And because through it, we'll determine the will of God, which is good and acceptable and perfect. When we understand the stewardship of sacrifice, that is for a purpose, that is for the understanding of the perfect, perfect will of God, we also know that we cannot conform to this world. John, 1 John 2.15 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. James said, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is at enemy with God. Whoever therefore will be a friend of the world is at enemy of God. And that's from James 4.4. 4. All too often we try to live in both the world and in within the kingdom. As if we are trying to live in two cities that are built from love. One is built out of love for self to the condemnation of God. The other is built for, by love of God, to condemnation of the self. In one city, the self tries to glorify itself. In the kingdom city, everyone tries to glorify God. We can't live in both cities at the same time and function and be happy and then find joy of the Lord. In the childhood home that I grew up in, it was an old house, you know. I'm 67, I don't care, you know how old I am. By the way, it's Cheryl's birthday today. <laughs> I'm not supposed to talk about Cheryl when I do a message, but I just broke the rule. Uh, thank you for being the incomparable Mrs. Herman, by the way. The childhood house that I grew up in, you know, many years ago, my dad bought it for $17,000. That gives you some perspective there. How old the house is, you buy a house for $17,000. It, it, was, it was an old-style house in Johnson County. All the cables, the power cables are buried there where I lived in North Jersey, this, there was a wire that extended from the telephone pole to the house that was the main power line. And in the room that, uh, that I lived in, just outside the window sat that cable. And I always just kind of imagined myself being a trapeze artist of sorts. Uh, that just outside my window, if I did a good leap, I could grab that wire and just kind of work my way across. Um, but fortunately, before that happened, I was educated beyond my intellect. And was told that that was not a good idea. Uh, that if I did that, I was risking my life. Not only I would probably be dead because by touching that wire and being grounded to the house, that current would surge through my body and fry me. And I'd be dead as quick as a lightning bolt would hit me. But what raised my curiosity, it took me longer to understand, was that sitting in my room, I would notice there would birds come and they'd rest and perch on this wire. And what raised my curiosity is how come nothing happened to those birds? Why is it that they survived and they didn't get fried like I was told that if I touched that wire, uh, what happened to me as a young idiot kid? Well, later it was explained to me after expressing my curiosity was it's because they didn't touch the ground. They were resting wholly on the wire itself. 
and they were safe and they would go off and fly off and find a nest or find food or whatever it is they flew off and maybe come back later to the same spot. So likewise, we only find ourselves safe when we are only committed wholly to Christ. It is where our safety resides. It is within his perfect will that is good and acceptable and perfect. God has a purpose for your life. He has designed you for a purpose. He has made you for a purpose. And his will for you is perfect. And it's the safest place to be. But it also requires some sacrifice because we are competing against this world wherein exists this city that we try to live in where we love ourselves and we seek to glorify ourselves to the condemnation of God. Instead of being in the kingdom world where we're living to love God and glorify him, that is the safest place for us to be. Half a second. Half a second is what we have in full consideration. God's will is good, acceptable, and perfect. Well, we're talking about the stewardship of sacrifice. We've talked about its calling. We've talked about its requirements and its reason. And when we begin to comprehend the merciful sacrifice of Jesus, we'll have no problem with sacrificing for his glory. That is what the gospel is all about. That's what Jesus is all about. I got a couple of minutes. I'm going to go here. The remainder of this verse, as I said earlier, of this passage of scripture relates to what's on Paul's mind in regards to unity. And I'll touch on this very, very briefly. That's the only time that we have. Verse 3, for by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, through many, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith... If service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Paul is talking to brethren. Is he talking to the local church or is he talking to the universal church? Well, I submit to you that it's probably both. Thank you for going to India. Thank you for serving and, and serving in the universal church. We also have responsibility here in the local church. And to use our talents and use our abilities in sacrifice to one another. That's what brings unity and builds a church. It's not a technique. It's what we're called to do. To use our talents and abilities in serving one another. Yes, it costs us something. But considering, if you will, what Christ has done for us and the mercy that he continues to show us, and in response to that, it should be an automatic response. If I was shot in my left shoulder, my right hand would automatically reach for it and react to it and probably writhe in pain. 
I told an amusing story in the first service. My sister was here, and I knew she was going to probably break down in tears crying from laughter because she used to laugh at me when this happened. Short story, I'd go down the hallway in my house, and, you know, I was a dumb kid, wasn't paying attention to what I was doing, and invariably I'd stub my little toes on the corner of the hallway going down. And I'd do a dance, <laughs> I'd hop around, you know, it'd bring tears to my eyes out of pain, and my body just reacted to it. That's the way we respond to one another as a body. It's automatic. When we recognize what Christ has done for us, the sacrifice that is made for us, the mercy that he's shown us, we go into autopilot. Karina Quell passed away. It grieves our heart. Our hands immediately reach for that wound and reach out in sacrifice and wanting to help and do what we can. It's the same way. It's not just something as tragic, but even in little things, there are needs among members of our body. There are opportunities for service. There is always a need for service. There's always a need for service in a nursery, in kids' programs, in teaching, in VBS, and you name the program, and there's opportunity there. But it requires sacrifice. But the preamble to it is consideration of what Christ has done for us and the mercy that he continues to show us. That's the point of this passage. We should be wallowing and always understanding. And the renewal of our mind means getting in God's word. And we read God's word, what do we find? We find his mercy. It's replete throughout the entire word that God's mercy has shown to us. It is the basis of our walk. It is the basis of our joy. It's a basis of our joy and stewardship and expressing our sacrifice.